Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and let's go ahead and, as you're turning there, ask the Lord to bless our time this evening. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to be saved. We thank you for the privilege that you've given to us to be a part of this youth group, to be gathered here together. We pray, Father, that your will would be done, that your name would be proclaimed and held in the highest of honor. Pray that you would conform us to the image of your son, Jesus Christ, and that way we can be more pleasing to you and that we can be more joyful in this life and experience more satisfaction with who you are and contentment with what's going on. We pray this for your sake and in your son's name. Amen. Well, several weeks ago, we picked up Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1, and we started looking at a particularly youth group kind of a verse, a particularly youth-oriented portion of scripture. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 1 through 3, this is specifically talking about children, as well as children's relationship to their parents. This evening, we'll kind of launch into looking at that in sort of a recap mode. And then bringing in verse 4 to kind of conclude the familial relationships, the relationships between family members. If you remember where we're at in the book of Ephesians, you'll recognize that what we've talked about is the theology that exists in God predestining you unto salvation, saving you by the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, giving you spiritual life, bringing you back from the spiritual death that we were living in, and brought us to a position of newness of life. Even that concept of you were dead, you're now alive. There is a newness of life that's associated with that. And chapter 4 really kind of introduced this idea that you should put off those things that are pointless, put on the things that are not pointless, the things that are like Christ, those Christ-like things that we need to be living in and existing in and exhibiting within our lives that are a benefit to our lives as well as a glorification to God's name. The Apostle Paul, who is writing this, switched his focus then to start talking about what it's like to live in in the new life in different circumstances and in different scenarios. And so we can talk about how there's a difference that exists in the way that we would communicate or live with the world that we're living in, live with those that are of the world. There's a, there's a distinction that's created between us and then kind of looking at our lives within the church ministry that's supposed to take place within the church, how all of us are supposed to be serving, are supposed to be ministering to one another. And in doing so, that that's how the body of Christ properly functions. That's how we are able to live as a correct body of Christ. And so then, in examining how it is that we're supposed to live in this newness of life, he then focused on family relationships, how it is that as the preeminent relationship, marriage, how it is that husband and wife are supposed to exist. And in our looking at that, we recognize that that's probably not something that's going to take place sometime soon. And that really what we were looking at was the hopeful future of something that can take place at some point in time and all of the different aspects associated with that. Then the next relationship that's important is parents with children. Examining that kind of relationship, how it is that that relationship is supposed to be. How parents are supposed to relate to their children, how children are supposed to relate to their parents, and that's the exact position of roles within the church, roles within the family that we are living in, that we are existing in. 
is the parent and child relationship. So last week we looked specifically at how it is that children should operate in comparison to their parents and in relationship to their parents. What it is that I as a child am supposed to do in relationship to my parents. And verse 1 through 3, obey your parents. Honor your parents. And this isn't just some routine kind of a subject where you're just supposed to do this. This is the decree of God. These are the rules of the Lord. You obey your parents and that's all that there is. But there's a benefit. There's a blessing that exists in obedience to parents. Honor your father and your mother. Treasure them and value them. Esteem them. Respect them. And do this because this is the first commandment with a promise. And of course, we know that the previous commandments to this and the Ten Commandments, and in fact, all the Ten Commandments had a promise that was associated with them. You would be experiencing eternal life. You would be living under God's blessing ultimately by obeying those commandments in that Old Testament sense. But in the New Testament sense, and in comparison with this commandment, this had a foremost promise. It had a promise in addition to the rest of the promises. And that is that it may go well with you and you may live long in the land. And so as we, as children, as we as youth, obey our parents in the Lord, right? So this is something that we obey our parents in terms of something that's not sinful. If our parents are wanting us to sin, that's not a place that you would obey your parents. Far be it from us, as Acts chapter 4 would talk about, that we would obey men rather than God when it comes to sanctification, when it comes to sinful things versus non-sinful things. But as long as it is then not sinful, then it is something that we should obey. Even if it's something that we may not necessarily be able to see the immediate fruit or the immediate benefit of, maybe we don't understand why it is that our parents would be requiring something of us, but in obedience to them, we would follow through with it as long as it's not sin. And in so doing, verse 3, every other relationship, this is what we looked at several weeks ago, every other relationship in life will be blessed because of this. That's what it means when it says it may go well with you. The word well in the Greek text refers to relationships. Well-being relationships. Relationships that we would have in any capacity. Whether it's in the future tense with our married relationships. Whether it's uh, relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Whatever it is at that point. Those relationships are blessed by God. They have a benefit associated with them. Because you are obedient to your parents. This is one of those ripple effects of Scripture. Doing this has significant consequences that permeate the rest of your life. That permeate all the other areas of your life. And it would even extend beyond that, beyond relationships, to just simply living satisfied in life. Living satisfied with circumstances. The relationship that exists between you and your parents is a proving ground, it's a training ground that allows you to experience other circumstances within lives with joy and contentment the way God intended you to. So all of that just to simply say, being obedient to your parents... Doing what God has commanded you to do results in a blessing and in a benefit. You have salvation. You are saved. Christ died for you. 
His blood was shed for you. So you have that benefit. That benefit can never be taken away. That benefit is yours. You can experience that benefit for literally the rest of your life in this life and then in eternity future. You can experience the blessings of salvation. But God in His abundant grace saw it fit to give you an extra special measure of grace and an extra blessing to be able to experience this life in a blessed sense in addition to salvation relating to your relationships and relating to the way you would experience circumstances and then of course that's what makes the second portion of chapter verse 3 so blessed and so beneficial that you would live long in the land it's an amazing principle and an amazing concept to recognize that obeying my parents extends my lifespan and it extends my lifespan on this earth in order that I would have longer time to experience the blessing of God in all these other relationships. You can think about it even in terms of training. As sons relate to their mothers, they begin to figure out how it is that they should be able to relate to their wife later on. And the manner in which a son would, would treat his mother is a reflection of how he would treat his wife later on. If he's argumentative with his mother, if he is short with his mother, that's exactly how he's going to be with his spouse someday. Unless the grace of God he relies upon and changes. If a wife, if a woman disrespects her father, if she looks to her father with no respect, with no kind of reverence or anything like that, and does not seek his leadership, his spiritual leadership and so forth, then there's no way to ultimately guarantee that she will seek your leadership someday. That's just one specific example. But even friendships that we would have would be impacted by this. Plenty of relationships would be impacted by this. And so then we get into verse 4, the primary emphasis of what we're going to look at this evening. And it says this in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We'll read through the context just so we know what's going on here. Verse 1, Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. Verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Much of this verse we would ultimately have to look at in the same way that we looked at marriage, where we recognize that this is probably not something immediately impacting us right now. We're not parents. And it's not just simply fathers that he's focusing on. He's already established in chapter 5 that a husband and a wife are to be unified. They're to be a unit. They're to be taken as a whole. You have one, you have the other. There's no such thing as then looking at a father without looking at the wife and vice versa. There's two now that are tangoing together, right? It takes two to tango. And they're treated as a singular unit. They two have become one flesh. But, as we saw in Ephesians 5, there's a hierarchy that would exist where a husband is the leader, the wife is the helpmate, the encouragement, the support, attributing all of her gifts to the husband for the husband's leadership ultimately to begin to shine and bless and benefit the relationship. So the specific focus is fathers taking them as a unit, just like the term Mankind is masculine and can represent men and women. The term here, father, is the idea of, of um, 
illustrating both husband and wife. So it's parents, but fathers with a specific leadership that they need to take charge with in terms of parenting. And as we were mentioning there, we may have to look at this the same way that we looked at marriage, where it's not a reality right now within our lives, but it could be a reality within the future. And so we're going to take the information that's presented here. There's still some applicational value for us now because we're still in the context of children obeying parents. And so in that respect, we're going to look at this from somewhat of a future perspective, seeing what we can glean now and begin to see the tools that we need as a solid foundation now for when we become parents someday but as well as recognizing what this would ultimately mean for us now, what this means for us now. And so we're going to look at this somewhat future. We're going to see this still within the huge burden of responsibility on youth to obey parents and to treasure parents. And then we could even begin to learn a little bit more specifically about how we should live our lives right now. So bear that in mind that the previous verses, verses 1 through 3, are saying the right thing to do in your life is to obey your parents. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. That's one of the most difficult principles that you would be struggling with right now. And in fact, almost everything that you struggle with as an individual in some way, and I said almost everything, not everything, but almost everything and in some capacity could be related back to obedience to your parents. If you have this thing down, if you have the obedience down to your parents, then a lot of other areas within your life are going to fall into place. There's a, there's a hierarchy of things that you need to be focusing on, and you need to be focusing on very specifically, very intently, to obey your parents. When they're talking about not doing something that's sinful, if that treasure, if that value of Christ is there, if that treasure and that value of your parents is there, then this is something that definitely becomes a little bit easier to do. But while that's there, then the obedience can follow. There's a willingness on your part to obey your parents. It's something you want to do. You jump into it. You will find that there is a lot more things within your life that will be shored up as a result of this, that things will be a little bit better within your life as a result of this. And I would even go so far as to say that particular aspects of your struggles with sin are things that would even be shored up, that would even benefit from obeying parents. And in many different ways, freedoms. How many people in this room want freedom? Let's all paint our faces like Braveheart and yell it out. You guys are dead tonight. There's no... Thank you. Freedom. I want freedom. I want the ability to be able to do things with friends. I want the ability to be able to do things with maybe somebody of the opposite sex. I want to be able to have some freedom here. But this principle, not in line, hinders that dramatically. And so this is one of the most important principles to get down, to get in the minds of youth group. Obey your parents. Honor your father and your mother. Treasure them. Value them. This is right. This gives you a blessing. This gives you a benefit. But then fathers, don't provoke your children. In the futuristic sense, we recognize that there's that specific emphasis on fathers. We're not 
necessarily parents now. We hope not in some of your guys' lives. <laughs> we're not fathers now. We're not mothers now. We don't have children now. It's really hard to ultimately obey that command now, but we can look forward to that. We can look future to that. And that a father has the specific responsibility as a head of his home, as a leader to take charge in this specific area, not to provoke his children to anger. Now, there's an obvious problem that's given within our context. There's things that are common problems in marriages and in parenting, and then with slaves and masters when we get there next week. You'll be surprised at how applicable that passage of Scripture is to you, though you're not a slave, literally. But there are problems that are common problems that exist that those who are redeemed should be able to avoid. And in avoiding these problems, then we can experience these relationships as how they were intended to be. So when we looked at husbands and wives, we recognize that a husband has a specific problem loving his wife. That goes all the way back to the fall. This is Genesis. This is Genesis 3. This is the curse upon humanity. Very similar concepts that are being presented there. It's very difficult for a husband to love his wife. That love has been interrupted. That love has been thwarted. And it's also very different and difficult for a woman to respect her husband, to to submit to her husband, to honor her husband in those regards. And that's what Genesis 3 said, that, that your desire will be for your husband. The implication of the Hebrew text is, is that your desire to rule over your husband will be there. You don't want to submit to the husband, and that's probably the number one most consistent problem in marriages and in the marriage counseling that I've done and that Pastor Rich has done, is that a husband is not loving his wife and a wife is not respecting her husband. That's why that chapter closed with, see to it, the husband must love his wife, the wife must respect her husband. Those are the common problems of marriage. In family relationships of parents and children, it is very common for children to disobey parents. You know that. You know that's the significant battle. If you're homeschooled and your parents are arguing with you over doing your homework, you know what the battle is. You know what the problem is. If you're in a public school, and even then, the schooling, it doesn't change. Whatever institution you're going with, schooling is always the problem. Don't want to do my homework? Don't want to do my homework. Whether it's being initiated at home or it's being initiated in a public school. Don't want to do the homework. There's a battle that exists there. If it's chores, there's a battle that exists. If it's friendships, where your parents are saying, this person is not the correct person to be hanging out with, there's a battle that ensues because you, in your solid, infinite wisdom, think that this person is so much more better and more valuable to hang out with. And so you've got to fight that battle to exist in that kind of a friendship or that kind of relationship. Parents who are saying these relationships are bad, these relationships shouldn't take place, there's a battle that's going to exist between parents and children that are being disobedient. It's a common problem. Children are prone to disobedience, but then there's also this problem that exists that parents are prone to provoking children in their anger, and then children are prone to responding to their parents' provoking in anger. So there's a specific problem that exists. It's not just simply the problem of disobedience to parents, but it's also a problem of kids' anger to parents. 
Inasmuch as it's a problem for parents to provoke their children in anger, the problem is that the children would respond in anger. And God is saying through the Apostle Paul here that yes, it is a problem inasmuch as it is a problem for parents to provoke their children. It's also a negative issue for children to respond in anger. And thus that dance, that battle of chess where you're doing moves, you're trying, to, you're trying to trump your parents and checkmate them and trying to convince them to allowing you to do what you want to do instead of what they want to do. But again, this goes back to the fact that if you treasured your parents, you would treasure what they have to say. Treasuring people, loving people, these are not just simply things that demonstrate themselves with words. When Abraham believed God... Several years later, almost 30 years later, in order to test Abraham so that Abraham would realize that his obedience, that his faith was more than just, what did he say, lip service, that's when he commanded him to offer up Isaac on the altar so that it would be clear that the true kind of faith and true kind of love of God is one that demonstrates itself. It's one that shows itself, that proves itself, that realizes itself, so that that way we're not just existing in this unsubstantiatable world of everybody who says whatever they want to say, and then you just simply have to take them at the word because you can't substantiate, you can't defend it. Just say whatever you want at that point. That's the world that we live in. I'm not a man, I'm a woman. I'm not a woman, I'm a man. There's so many different ways in which this is being counteracted to just simply have a substantiatable fact within your life. And so if I say that I love my parents, if I say that, I, that I'm valuing my parents, that I respect my parents, when they say something, I take it to heart. And then I demonstrate the reality of that by following through with obedience. And i got to avoid this issue of responding to my parents in anger. That's... That's the default. That's the ipso facto way of responding to parents is when they say do something and you're saying, no, I'm not going to do something and then they reiterate it. Even if they're not provoking you, if I'm not walking in obedience to my parents or treasuring or valuing them, the standard way of reacting to them is to get mad at them. And how many of us, maybe not many of us, hopefully that would be great, but how many of us at some point within our lives, our parents have said, don't do this, do this instead, or they've said, don't do that, do this instead, and we've responded with, I hate you. It's a typical response. Get out of my face. I don't want this kind of relationship. I hate you. That may have been something that some of us had said. It may have been something that we've said when we were like eight years old or nine years old, but you can see it then in the lives of younger kids who haven't experienced salvation where sin is even more of a propensity to come out. It's more of, a, of an opportunity to say, I hate you, Mom. I hate you, Dad. It's a response of anger. There's a provoking in some circumstances, absolutely, but there's also the necessity that if we're living in obedience to our parents, if we're doing our role, then the burden of responsibility, the burden of the issue of sin, shifts off of us completely and goes to them. That's one thing that is so important to recognize about this passage of Scripture, and as well as the marriage one before it, and as well as the the slaves and masters one after it. 
You're not doing any of these things in order to try to get your parents to be a certain way. That's what the response of anger is trying to do. You're trying to get your parents to be a certain way, to live a certain way, to act a certain way. So that that way you're free to live and experience life the way that you would want to do it. But the reality is, is that we are doing these things for the specific purpose, not to get somebody else to be this way or to do something, but we're doing this so that we can glorify the Lord. That's what we've talked about in the past couple of weeks when we've gone through the book of Ephesians is to recognize that the new life has this significant component that separates you from everybody else. The glorification of God. I do things with a motivation to glorify God and therefore I have to restrict myself in the activities that I can do because there are certain activities that I can't glorify the Lord in. I might have to restrict myself from certain kinds of friendships. I might have to restrict myself from certain kinds of relationships. I might have to restrict myself from certain kinds of video games. I might have to restrict myself from certain whatever it is. Just insert the things that you love more than your parents and recognize that you would have to restrict yourself in those specific areas because the glory of the Lord matters to you more than these temporary moments of pleasure in whatever circumstance you're going through. It's the number one difference between us and the world is that I am going to live for the glory of God and not the glory of myself. That's what everybody else does. That's their motivation to date. That's their motivation to have friends. That's their motivation to hang out. That's their motivation to spend their private time. It's all about self. It's all about the glory of self. And yet I am going to live for the glory of God so that He, His majesty can be displayed. He can be made famous through my life and that I can enjoy Him. It's all about the glory of God. That's what separates you from the rest of the world. And so then, if I'm going to live for the glory of the Lord, then the way in which I operate with my parents, there's a primary motivation to glorify the Lord. So again, I'm not just simply doing these things because this is God's rules. I'm doing these things because this has eternal significance in bringing honor and glory to God. So ultimately, how does a parent avoid provoking their children to anger? And in fact, immediately, one thing to begin to recognize is you as kids, there's not much control that you ultimately have over your parents' actions and your parents' activities. And guaranteed at some point, if it hasn't happened already, it will happen at some point in time, your parents will do something to provoke you to anger. And there's a significant choice within your life as somebody who treasures and values your parents to not respond in anger, to resist that temptation. And one thing to begin to do and to begin to recognize is be in communication with your parents and be encouraging them to participate in these things. Just because you're not doing these things to change your parents, you're doing these things for the glory of the Lord, doesn't mean that you can't encourage them to be living the way that they should be living. In fact, you should. I don't think there's anything wrong with a son or with a daughter saying to their parents, their guardian, who's ever in charge, 
it means the world to me if you would do some of these things. And that when they do these things, to be able to say, that made me so happy when you did that. I loved it when you did that. And be encouraging. Be encouraging to your parents. Be in communication with your parents. Be loving with your parents. With your, the guardian, whoever's in charge of you. Be loving towards them. Be caring towards them. Be a Christian towards them. And I think you'll be surprised what happens when believers who have the Holy Spirit, as you guys are professing to be, when they use encouragement as an opportunity to minister to their parents. How many times have you done that? How many times in your life growing up have you ever complimented your parents when they made a a correct decision? Or were you there for them when a decision fell through? How many times for them when they've asked you to do something did you say, I'm going to do this for the glory of the Lord. You didn't have to say this literally, but this was the attitude. This was the action. I'm going to do this because I love you, Mom. I'm going to do this because I love you, Dad. I'm going to go right through with this. That's what I'll do. How many times has that happened? Or specific to our context, if you'll notice what it says here, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but... Bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So how many times then have we said to our mom, have we said to our dad, thank you for praying with me? Or if they haven't prayed, if we've even actually encouraged them, hey, would you be willing to pray with me? Would you be willing? And it doesn't matter if your dad's a theologian. It doesn't matter if your mom's a scholar in the biblical text. And it doesn't matter if they're not even Christians. What matters then is just beginning to figure out how to properly have this relationship with them and that if they're not saved, I can be sharing the gospel with them and then I can be encouraging them in different aspects of life that if they do something great, I can say, hey mom, hey dad, what you did was great. That was awesome. And I, and I think that God is really helping me to see you in a more loving way by the, things that, by the things that you've done. And these are all just different examples. You guys know your parents. You guys have been living with them. Or you guys know them in a way that I don't specifically know them. But there are a lot of you that I know for sure that your parents are Christians, that they probably have done something spiritual within your life. Did you thank them? Did you encourage them? You know, Hebrews talks about provoking one another to love and good deeds. Did you provoke them to love and good deeds? Did you say something? Did you do something for them that caused them to be enticed, to be drawn into this kind of a relationship where they're not provoking you to anger, they're provoking you to love and good deeds. They're existing in discipline and instruction within your life. How about this one? You got in trouble. I know everybody in here has. You got in trouble. You did something wrong. And then when the dust kind of settled from that, your parents disciplined you. When the dust kind of settled from that, you came back and you said, thank you so much for loving me enough to discipline me. Have you ever said that? Have you ever thanked your parents for disciplining you? 
It's a part of our context here. That's how they avoid provoking you, provoking you to anger is by discipline, is by instruction. Hebrews 12.9 said this, Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? Of course, the ultimate context there in Hebrews 12 is the fact that God disciplines you. If you're genuinely saved, you are always under the lovingly discipline of your heavenly Father. Hebrews 12 says, that's your proof of salvation. You are genuinely saved because God genuinely loves you enough to be able to discipline you. And he even makes that comparison that was understood by Judaistic culture, by Hebrew Christianity culture within their congregation, was that when their fathers disciplined them, they respected them. They esteemed them. They honored them. They revered them. Did you ever feel secure in your parents' love because they're willing to discipline you? The Proverbs says that parents who avoid discipline hate their children. Hate them. Bear that in mind as well for the future you that may have a family, that may have children. Not disciplining them is a hateful thing to do. To love is to discipline. To love is to not tolerate sin. To love is to correct sin. To love, true love is going to show somebody the Word of God that says what you're doing is sinful. And if your parents say what you did was wrong, here's the consequences. It's going to sting. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But when you come back from that, have you ever thanked them? There's an advantage to that. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Parents, don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in discipline. This word discipline also carries with it the idea of instruction. These are two words that are very strong and very synonymous in a lot of different ways. To discipline somebody is to instruct somebody as well. To teach somebody disciplines different disciplines that they should be participating in. And those disciplines have to relate to the Lord. They have to relate to loving the Lord, to following the Lord, to trusting the Lord, to believing in the Lord. Have your parents ever sat down with you and have done a Bible study? Did you say, that's what I love? My family, when I was growing up, my dad would sit us down and we would do a Bible study and almost all of us weren't saved as kids. And so we would do this Bible study and we would all be sitting there thinking to ourselves, there's something so much better than sitting here listening to my dad talk about the Bible. This is boring. It's, it was horrible on Christmas morning to know that I've got Tom Clancy's latest game waiting for me or that I, you know, I used to get a lot of N64 games. So to know that I had Star Fox waiting for me to know that I had something amazing. And they, my parents used to do it this way, where they would have one big gift that was unwrapped, but it came from Santa. And so they would put that gift out in the middle of the night, because that's when Santa would put it out in the middle of the night. You weren't fooling anyone. Uh, and then you would go out in the middle of the night. You would see what gift you had. You would wake up in the morning. Cinnamon rolls. Glorious. Oh, so good. 
Bacon! Oh, Christmas morning had bacon. Everything was so amazing on Christmas morning, and yet all of it was on hold, on pause, till my dad read the same Christmas story out of Luke every single year. Give me a break, Pops. I got video games I gotta get to. So annoying, so irritating. Man, my dad was doing such a good job. He had that morning down. He had the right idea. He knew what he should be doing, and he was doing it. And us stupid kids were sitting there criticizing and ridiculing and making fun of him for thumping the Bible at us. Oh, man. Being redeemed, I pray, being redeemed instills it within every single one of your eyes that your parents are valuable. They're all making mistakes. My dad and mom made tons of mistakes. Everybody's going to make these mistakes. Every parent is going to make these mistakes. But God, in His infinite sovereign wisdom, saw it fit to place you in the situation that you're in, not so you could be bummed out with the circumstances, but God knows best for what's in your life. And He's given you His Holy Spirit and salvation and the opportunity to live as how you're supposed to live, regardless of whether or not your parents are fulfilling their roles. Chances are they're probably doing a better job than any of us think. Chances are they're very high in that respect. And again, if they're not, what would be the harm of encouraging them? Dad, Mom, can you read the Scriptures with me? Can you pray with me? Dad, I was reading this in Revelation. What do you think about this? And our parents are having to fight the battles, not just simply of our spirituality, of our sinfulness, but they're having to fight the battles of our reactions, our sinful reactions, not just the temptations, but the fact that we're wanting sin, that we're doing sin, that we're participating in sin. They're trying to instruct us, they're trying to raise us, they're trying to grow us, and we could make life so much simpler if obedience to our parents was in place and we would recognize this exchange that goes on that parents can provoke children and that we can respond in anger and if we do our part. Very rarely, very rarely in my short time of youth ministry have I had the opportunity to tell kids, I will talk to your parents for you almost always been the other way around. It's been parents doing their best, trying their best, putting forth that effort, putting forth that good foot to try to be the best parents that they know how to be and to make the mistakes that they make and to learn from those mistakes and move on. And then you've got kids, you've got youth groups that are just so enamored with worldly concepts. So enamored with doing things like everybody else is doing. If this is something that allows us to avoid that provocation from our parents, perhaps we really should take into serious consideration asking them to be doing these things, encouraging them to be doing these things. Keep up the discipline. <laughs> How about that? Keep up the discipline, Dad. 
I know I'm going to keep sinning and I'm going to keep struggling with sin, but I need your help, Dad. I need your discipline. Mom, I need your discipline. I need things to be taken away from me. I need to feel that pain that is associated with discipline because I want to grow, I want to learn, and I want to be more like Christ. That's what's so much more valuable to me than not experiencing the pain of discipline. I'm willing to experience this pain in order to achieve as the ultimate end my ability to respect other people, my ability to properly contribute and function in society, and my ability to be like Christ and glorify the Lord. Keep that coming. The other word is the word admonition. And this might be a very difficult portion for us to be encouraging our parents in because the word admonition is where you get the word counseling from, right? My degree is in nuthetic counseling. That's the Greek word, nutheteo here. It's an admonition kind of counseling where you take the word of God and you establish and understand what it is that you're supposed to be doing. And so this is specific to that, specific to the Word of God, but it could also mean kind of an encouragement in a general sense, direction, wisdom, guidance, very helpful and wise suggestions. So this is where I would go to my parents and I would encourage them if they're not already doing this, what do you think I should do with my life? I've got some options on the table here. What do you think that I should do? What's... What's your estimation of where I should go, what I should do, what I should be? And a lot of times parents can be in a, in a great position having seen you grow up, having seen your talents unfold, having seen your goals and your ambitions and your dreams kind of coming forth. It's very hard if you're passionate about something for your parents not to know about it. It's possible. You can hide things. But it's very hard for that. And so your parents can be in a very significant situation and a very wonderful privilege for you, an advantage for you, because they've experienced things that you haven't. They know things that you don't. I mean, even recently, I'm talking to my dad about taxes because I don't know a thing about them. They totally elude my understanding. You know, seeking out my dad or Carissa's dad and saying, hey, what do you think in terms of a house? I don't know the first thing about buying a house, but I know I need to do that. I need to provide. I need to provide adequate space and adequate living means for my family. If I'm not doing those things, I'm actually not qualified to be a pastor. I'm not being a good husband in any sense of the imagination. And in fact, 1 Timothy 5 even says that he who does not provide for his own, even his own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I don't want to be like that. But if I don't know something, I need to be taught. I need to be instructed. I need to be counseled. I need to get that wisdom that I don't have. And I can immediately get wisdom from people who have already gained it. And it may not be the best thing to do, but at least having that conversation, opening up that conversation between you and your parents can at least help stimulate the thinking process. A lot of times you just need to get something on the table. You just need to get something on the paper. As you're writing something, you've got to write something down and that way you can get your mind turning on different things that should be taking place. And here's the difficult one. Dad or mom, do you think I should date this person? Do you think I should be friends with this person? Do you think I should work here? What ministry do you think I should get involved in? What college should I go to? What high school should I go to? Should I be homeschooled? 
What is it that I should do? Encouraging your parents, striking up these conversations, and establishing a degree of trust that your parents know you're mature enough, you're responsible enough to be able to have these conversations, and they can help and they can encourage. We'll finish with this. tried to try in, try to tie in some of the ideas of how we should begin to respond to this. Understanding that right now we may not have the opportunity to do these things, but we should begin to recognize several things this evening. If our parents are disciplining us and we respond with anger, the burden of responsibility has shifted from them to us. If they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and we're responding sinfully and we're responding, responding angrily, the burden of responsibility has shifted off of them and onto us. We're the ones that we are, are just committing the sin. We're the ones who are failing in this. We're the ones that are depriving ourselves of that benefit to experience this life with that blessing of God, that additional blessing of God in addition to salvation. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting the relationship between you and your parents. Their role is perfectly okay. Well, not perfectly okay. Their role is all right in this circumstance. If they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and we're responding in anger and we're responding negatively, the burden has shifted off of them and onto us. If they're disciplining us and we're getting angry at them, we're sinning. They're teaching us the word of God and we're ignoring it, we're sinning. If our parents are giving us direction in life and we're getting angry at them, we're sinning. If they're asking us to take out the trash and we're responding in anger, responding in negativity, or just pure flat-out disobedience, the burden of responsibility is off of them and it's on to us. It's your problem now. Obey, repent, just do these things with an attitude that says, I'm going to glorify the Lord with this. Now, of course, and I recognize some of you guys are getting into later stages in life. Some of you guys are getting a little bit older. And so a lot of these things, some of you guys have maybe moved out of the house, a lot of these things might decrease in their intensity. You know, the necessity to obey parents is going to decrease in its necessity, in its intensity, the, the more that you're living on your own and, and the, the older that you're getting and growing away from them. And then especially when you get married, that point kind of severs what we're talking about here. But in the meantime, there needs to be that obedience. There needs to be these proper responses to them. And if they're not fulfilling their role, you still need to be participating in what you should be doing. And if they're not fulfilling their role, it kind of creates a negative atmosphere around the home. And so it's a good thing to begin to encourage and begin to incite within them through however it is they would feel loved to try to entice them and encourage them to begin to do these things. And if it gets really bad and you're in a position where they're not doing what they should be doing, reach out for help. I'm sure maybe a lot of parents probably wouldn't be excited to have me confronting them on their parenting. But we've got other pastors here that are available for that. You've got myself. I'm willing to do it. I don't got a problem with that. But I'm willing to help. I'm willing to help encourage. I'm willing to help point these things out from the scriptures if that's not taking place. But if that is taking place and you're responding negatively, it's sin. It's sin. And 
it's only hurting yourself. That freedom that we were talking about earlier, that exists within the bounds of obedience. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. As you live in that freeness of Christ, that freedom that he gave you, there's still an obligation and a responsibility to obey God. You don't just simply get to run rampant or run free. There is no such thing as in holiness or in salvation as autonomous freedom whereby which you don't have any boundaries or barriers to begin to live in. But as you live in those, you find the freedom that you're looking for. You find that opportunity to have your parents off your back because they trust you. And that they would be the ones that would be quickest to your defense if somebody were to say, so-and-so is messing up, so-and-so has a terrible track record of sinning, their parents could be the ones that come up, step up to the plate and say, I know them, I've seen them, they have a proven record with me that they are loving the Lord, that they are living rightly. And when you have that defense from your parents, that's a great place to be. That's a great place to be. I sincerely hope, as we close here, I sincerely hope that you guys are hearing this. And this is not, this is not like me in cahoots with your parents. Like they're, you know, once you guys leave here, your parents are going to come and they're going to kind of dish me some cash under the table because they're like, hey, I need you to tell my, tell my kid that he's messing up or that she's messing up. And I'm like, all right, well, just keep the cash flowing and I'll tell them that they're terrible all day long. <laughs> It's not what's going on here. This comes from two motivations. Number one, and ultimately the word of God and the benefit and the blessing that's there. But number two, having been there as somebody who was disobedient to parents. Somebody who did miss out on a lot of things that I didn't have to miss out on by trusting in Christ, by valuing my parents, by obeying them. There's a lot of things, there's a lot of work ahead of somebody who ignores these principles, who refuses to listen to these principles, and has themselves set up as the centerpiece of their life. And then God's grace changes them, and by God's grace they can change and they can move forward ultimately, but that's a longer road ahead than if you change now. One thing I always thought about is how annoying it is for me to be in a lane when I'm driving that ends. That's a, that's a pain. Especially if it's like the freeway. Especially if it's like in Phoenix or some busy city. I mean, we don't really know like what a freeway is until you go out to like California or some of these other places where freeways are um, literally connected to hell. <laughs> it's the only way I know how to describe it. You've, there, there are demons that are involved on those highways. And you're in a lane and you're stuck because the, the lane's going to end and you're looking over and you're trying to get over, you're trying to get over and everybody's a jerk and everybody's more important than you and they're just not letting you in, not letting you in, not letting you in and then you're stuck there and it's like, man, I really wish that I wasn't in this place, stuck in this lane. I want to be out here in this fast lane where everybody just keeps going and they don't have to stop, except for in California. There's no such thing as a fast lane. But... <laughs> You get the point. Like these people are going straight. They, they're moving forward. I'm stuck. I'm stuck. It would have been so helpful to have had somebody say, 
the course that you're headed on, that lane that you're in right now is going to end. And it's going to be really hard, not impossible, by the grace of God, somebody nice enough to slow down and wave you in. And they look irritated a lot of times, like, ah, come on in. You know, but that finally happens. So by the grace of God, it can change. There's no unhopefulness in the Christian's life. You have hope. Everything can be better. But it would have been great to have avoided that, been in the right lane when I should have been in the right lane, and headed in the right direction to begin with. That's what it's like when we obey parents, when we seek their counsel, when we seek their advice. If anything else, too, we can. if our parents did nothing but horrible things, learning from them or hearing from them, and then coming in here and saying, here's what my parents were telling me to do, and having pastors or godly people say, that is the worst advice on the history of the planet. Do this instead. That's still beneficial. That's still helpful. No matter how you look at it, no matter how you paint it, your parents in your life, by God's sovereign grace, are there for a reason, and they're there to help you get into that correct lane and move forward. And I hope you take that into serious consideration. I really do. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for parents. Father, in those broken families, we thank you for guardians. We thank you for single parents. We thank you for the church. We thank you for anybody who you have specifically placed as a guardian or as somebody who can watch over or especially those that are our parents. We thank you for them. Father, we thank you that that's so so gracious of you. So, Father, we pray that you would grant us grace, that we would respond to this passage of Scripture appropriately. We pray for the parents, that they would respond appropriately, that they would not provoke their children to anger, but that we wouldn't use that as a reason to be disobedient if they are. And, Father, we pray that you'd be glorified by this as your glory is what's most important to us. And if it's not, I pray that you would change our hearts that it would be. Because there's no greater point of joy and satisfaction than to be somebody who brings glory to your name. So we pray that that would be the case in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen.